Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, Tokies and Tokets And non-Tokie lovers of liberty It is Tuesday, March 29th, 2016 And it's got to be 420 Somewhere in the world Thanks for joining us for another great show. Coming to you live from Boulder City, Nevada, overlooking Lake Mead, which is much lower than the last time I saw Lake Mead. They're running out of water out here in the desert. It's a damn shame, but uh, we're doing okay here in Boulder City. We uh, went out to Las Vegas last night, visited the Las Vegas Strip. You might have seen some of my photos on Instagram at Radical Russ, and uh, had a really, really good time out there great time to see uh the lights and i got to see uh my first cirque du soleil show last night the the michael jackson one and uh it was a uh, phenomenal definitely uh the top notch world class entertainment you come to expect from las vegas uh nice to get that opportunity want to thank the folks that made that possible for me uh i don't get a lot of time to really uh let what's left of my hair down and play so very much appreciated. All work and no play makes Russ a dull boy. On today's show, we've got some great information for you, especially if you're interested in activism, if you're in the Washington, D.C. area, because joining us at half past, we've got Adam Eidinger. He's with the D.C. Cannabis Initiative. They passed uh, legalization in 2014, the grow and give style. And uh, Adam's been a longtime activist there in D.C. uh, in hemp and many other aspects of the cannabis plant and its reform. So we'll talk to him at half past and get the details on this rally to call on President Obama to use his executive powers to deschedule cannabis, take it out of the Controlled Substances Act. So that's coming up at half past in our activist agenda. Also on the show today, we'll have time for a radical rant. And in the rant today... There's a big piece out on International Business Times talking about the U.N. General Assembly special session on drugs and asking the question whether marijuana reformers will eventually become drug reformers as we continue to change the laws regarding marijuana. We're going to take a look at the different aspects of marijuana law reform versus drug law reform and how some of the frames we use with marijuana could harm us if we do want to transition into becoming drug law reformers. So that's coming up in the Radical Rant at the end of the show. Also coming up on the show today in Drug War Data Mining, we take a look at a subject that uh, I've covered many times on the show, but we're going to cover it again, and that is drug testing for welfare. West Virginia is about to become the latest state to institute this horrendous practice, and a very brave West Virginia lawmaker took to the airwaves in West Virginia to discuss what a failure these policies have been everywhere they've been tried. So we'll take a look at those facts and figures in the drug war data mines. That comes after behind the headlines where Gary Johnson, libertarian candidate for president, is predicting that President Obama will reclassify marijuana on his way out of office as 
Adam Eidinger and the rest of us would like to see happen. So we'll take a look at that story and other predictions from the Libertarian candidate for president. And that all comes right after the Cannabis Radio News. And in the headlines today, the Oregon Health Authority has reversed itself on a controversial rule regarding marijuana extracts. We've got some problems with medical marijuana bill in Pennsylvania to talk about. In Hawaii, lawmakers are looking at a standard for stoned driving. Leon County, Florida might join other counties in decriminalizing marijuana. The Denver 420 rally is on. We'll tell you how you can get information about it. And Hustler's Larry Flint is getting into the marijuana business. It's all coming up on the Russ Belville Show. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Being green is good. Growing green is good. Making green is great. Cannabisradio.com. Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has national resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the fingerboard extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. The Russ Belleville Show. Where the truth about marijuana gets more than a minute to speak. Tommy Chong Show on Cannabis Radio. You know about this podcast. What I really want to do from now on is to solve world problems. I feel like my job is to calm everybody down and focus on how we can save this planet. The Tommy Chong Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Tuesday, March 29th, 2016. The Oregon Health Authority has reversed itself on a controversial new rule that temporarily outlawed marijuana extracts on dispensary store shelves. The previous rule declared that starting April 1st, the state's medical marijuana dispensaries could not accept extracts produced by unlicensed processors. The state's extract industry cried foul as the licensing process would not begin until April 1st and no business would have a license until months later. Producing cannabis extracts without a license is a felony under new laws signed by Governor Kate Brown this month. 
Under the new compromise, medical marijuana dispensaries will be able to accept extracts from producers who have applied for a license and submitted a $4,000 fee. Dispensaries will also still be allowed to sell the extracts they had already purchased from producers before April 1st. Unintended consequences and technical glitches are hampering the effort to reconcile Senate and House versions of a medical marijuana bill in Pennsylvania. Senate Bill 3 passed the House on March 16th on a 149-43 to vote, but House lawmakers made changes to the version the Senate had passed 43-7 to back in 2014. Now the Senate must decide whether to pass the bill as is to the governor or make changes that would then need House approval. One issue concerns the use of medical marijuana as a term in the House version versus medical cannabis in the Senate version. Another sticking point is the requirement of six-figure deposits in banking institutions for those applying for cannabis business licenses. Banks are still leery of accepting deposits from cannabis businesses due to federal prohibition. Hawaii lawmakers are asking how much marijuana a driver can safely consume before getting behind the wheel of a car. It's an issue they want to tackle now that Hawaii is setting up medical marijuana dispensaries. So Representative Cindy Evans and 15 other lawmakers introduced a resolution asking the State Department of Health to study whether a person can safely drive while under the influence. Hawaii law bans people from driving under the influence of a drug that impairs their ability to drive, but there isn't a set threshold for how much marijuana, medically prescribed or not, is acceptable in the bloodstream. According to the National Conference of State Legislatures, Colorado, Montana, and Washington set the limit at 5 nanograms per milliliter of blood, while Nevada and Ohio went with the lower 2 nanograms. Other states provide an exemption for medical marijuana patients. Leon County may be the next locality in Florida to adopt marijuana decriminalization if a county commissioner's proposal is successful. Commissioner Bill Proctor is calling for an ordinance to reduce pot possession in the county to a civil infraction like a traffic ticket. Under his proposal, possession of less than 20 grams of marijuana would be subject only to a civil citation and fine under the county code. Possession of 20 grams or less of marijuana is a misdemeanor under Florida state law, and over 20 grams is a felony, resulting in lifetime loss of the right to vote. Leon County would join Palm Beach County, Volusia County, Miami-Dade County, and a handful of cities such as Tampa in ending arrests and criminal records for personal marijuana possession. The Denver 420 rally is on, but will be held on the Saturday before 420, which falls on a Wednesday this year. On Saturday, April 16th, Wiz Khalifa and Lil Wayne will headline a free concert in Denver's Civic Center Park. The event is sponsored by Colorado Marijuana Company, Mass Roots, and Sweetleaf, and should bring 100,000 people to the park. There will be 250 vendors, and while the event is free, attendees are encouraged to support the event by donating to the cause or upgrading to Premier or All Access Passes, which can be found online at 420rally.co. Hustler magazine publisher Larry Flint, whose Supreme Court case against the Reverend Jerry Falwell secured the broad right to satirize public figures, is investing in the legal pot business. Saying, quote, pharmaceutical companies don't want people turning to pot for pain relief because it means they'll be spending less on prescription pills, Flint wrote in a statement. The alcohol industry doesn't want the competition either. The mounting scientific evidence that pot is safer than alcohol, legal marijuana would clearly put a major dent in the booze business's profits. Private for-profit prisons only make money if they're full, and that means locking up weed growers and pot smokers, end quote. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Tuesday, March 29th, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. 
Candid. I want to give you the inside story. Captivating. I want to introduce you to my kind and amazingly talented friends. Compelling. We get to meet some of the most amazing cannabis activists and warriors around. Listen in as medical marijuana pioneer Dr. Dina shares never-before-heard stories, chats with cannabis insiders and celebrity friends, and provides invaluable perspective and insight into one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. I want to share with you what was once confidential information. Let's expose the truth, discuss the issues, and learn the facts. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show reminds you to never smoke and drive impaired. Hang out for a while and share. This is Cannabis Facts from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. Supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. In 1937, the second most prescribed medicine, marijuana, was banned. It wasn't about marijuana. The paper, oil, and chemical industries lobbied to end hemp farming. No longer labor-intensive, an acre of hemp produced more quality paper than four acres of trees. Plastics and fibers could be produced from a plant. Hemp can even produce ten times the energy of today's ethanol. As marijuana prohibition ends, many states now allow farmers to again grow hemp. This was Cannabis Facts. From the silvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to process America's hemp crop at hempinc.com. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing, so are we. Grow with us, cannabisradio.com. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we take a look at Libertarian White House candidate Gary Johnson running for president. And uh, I guess this is the third time I knew he was running in 2012. In fact, he was following me all around the country for a while. We did I did about five events in a row where I was there with Governor Gary Johnson, to the point, uh, one event in Texas, he actually pulled up in a parking spot next to me at the event. I'm like, my God, I'm being stalked by the former governor of New Mexico. But uh, great guy, Governor Gary Johnson. And and while I disagree with him on some uh, aspects of policy, I can definitely give my endorsement of him as a principled man, as an honest man, uh, who's consistent in his beliefs. And I'll tell you, these days in politics, that might be enough to get my vote. Just someone who, you know, even when I disagree with him, I can understand why that he's not being bought off by someone, that he's come to it from a very principled and rational, logical point of view. Well, Gary Johnson was interviewed by the Washington Times, which is notably a uh, conservative paper, and uh, he believes that uh, President Obama is going to remove cannabis from the Schedule One list of controlled substances on his way out of office perhaps in the lame duck period after the election, but before the inauguration of the next president. Uh, Johnson says, quote, it's going to be just like alcohol. 
I'm going to predict that Obama, when he leaves office, is going to deschedule marijuana as a class one narcotic. I wish he would have done that to this point, but I think he's going to do that going out the door. That's a positive, end quote. Uh, for those who don't know, of course, marijuana, Schedule 1 drug, it's on the same category as LSD and heroin, no currently accepted medical use, no safe profile of use, and a high potential for abuse. Obviously untrue about marijuana in a country where 23 states have medical use and the government has numerous patents on the medical use of cannabis. Uh, the current presidential candidates, aside from Gary Johnson, include uh, Democratic uh, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, she has called for a rescheduling of cannabis as Schedule 2. That includes drugs like oxycodone, cocaine, and methamphetamines, which can be prescribed in all 50 states. Not always, but uh, there's a, a, a drug called desoxin that's often prescribed to kids with ADHD. Uh, that is uh, pharmaceutical methamphetamine. <laughs> there's really no pharmacological difference between the two drugs. Uh, so we have, and, and in dental and, and nasal surgeries, there is a pharmaceutical cocaine as an anesthetic. So these drugs are Schedule two, but if you're caught with one of them without a prescription, you're still pretty darn busted, you're, as bad as or worse as if you'd had a bag of weed. So obviously Schedule two is not much of a move from the perspective of a cannabis consumer. From the perspective of a cannabis researcher, it's a huge deal in that Schedule 2 opens up the possibility for uh, researchers to acquire cannabis and do legitimate double-blind studies on it. And it does open things up from the medical use of cannabis in that states, should they allow medical use, could then allow it with prescription. But I think we need to be careful of this Schedule 2 as a potential trap. Once we open up marijuana to Schedule 2, it's now subject to all of the prescription rules that you find for any DEA Schedule 2 drug. So in a state like California or Oregon, where the medical marijuana recommendations are happening, they're not prescriptions, they're recommendations, the free speech thing, would that actually be a more liberal policy than having to adhere to the prescription regulations of Schedule II drugs. In those cases, for example, Schedule II oxycodone, you can't just get refills for it. You have to get that prescription re-upped time after time after time. Could that be the same circumstance we'd find with cannabis under a Schedule II regime? So Hillary Clinton's calling for that. Bernie Sanders is calling for, like Gary Johnson, removing it from the federal schedule altogether. Now, removing it from the schedule doesn't mean it's automatically legal in all 50 states. Every state has their own laws and their own drug schedules regarding marijuana. So taking it out of the federal drug schedule would just default all the states to their state schedule. And in many cases, the state schedule just copies the federal schedule. So, you know, they already have marijuana as a Schedule 1 drug in that state. But this would free the states up, and this is, again, uh, consistent with uh, Gary Johnson's libertarian view of states' rights, would free the states up to regulate cannabis any way they see fit. And that would be a, a fairly good Tenth Amendment uh, reading. Uh, there is nothing in the Constitution that's giving the federal government the control over agriculture or uh, uh, or medicines. So it does make sense from that point of view. 
On the Republican side, most of the Republicans are uh, issuing mealy-mouthed states' rights sentiments that they're fine with Washington or Colorado doing what they want to do, but he, they wouldn't do it in their own states. We've heard this from Donald Trump, from uh, from uh, Rafael Eduardo Cruz, Ted Cruz, and uh, John Kasich. These are the least that anyone can do with respect to marijuana, and in that case, uh, these Republicans have pretty much the same view as Democratic President Obama, who has just let marijuana legalization happen without federal interference. Oh, Piggy can run. <laughs> well, folks, it's 420 in the Mountain Time Zone. Happy 420 to my friends out there in Denver, Colorado, getting ready for the big Denver rally. Remember, that website address is 420rally.co if you're interested in being in the Denver area to celebrate freedom on 420. 420rally.co to get your tickets, make your donations. I'll be in uh, New York at the Ungas. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a Resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has National Resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the fingerboard extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. You're listening to Radical Russ. On the Russ Belleville Show. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. Cannabis is just one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that we can use consciously and intelligently to improve our well-being. Take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. Learning to live and live well is a lifelong process. This is a journey. It could be you could be 80 years old or 8 years old. You can still learn something that's going to make tomorrow a little bit healthier, a little bit easier, a little bit happier, a little bit better. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Drug War Data Mines, we take a look at the state of West Virginia and we salute one lawmaker there, Wayne County Delegate Don Perdue. And I don't know if he's a Democrat or a Republican because in the copy on uh, the news site, uh, WV Metro News, in the copy it says R. Wayne, like Republican from Wayne, 
And in the caption on his picture, it says D Wayne. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he's Republican or Democrat, but you know what? It doesn't matter because he's doing the right thing. And that is standing up to oppose with facts, science, reason, and logic. This new bill signed into the into law by Governor Earl Ray Tomlin in West Virginia, Senate Bill 6, which is another one of these odious drug testing for welfare bills. This is a three-year pilot program, so uh, they uh, suppose that it will go away in three years. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, that is to screen recipients of temporary assistance for needy families, TANF, uh, otherwise known as welfare. Now, this is a practice that is based in moralizing and infantilizing the poor. The whole idea here is, well, and, and as, as said by uh, some of the people in support of it, uh, Senator Craig Blair said, quote, We've got to stop the cycle of drug ab- addiction and the abuses that go along with it, end quote. And why is it that we need to stop the cycle of drug addiction so desperately for people who happen to be poor? But it's not necessary to go to these great lengths to do it for anyone who's middle class or rich, right? Any of the other recipients of government grants, county grants, state grants in West Virginia don't necessarily have to have drug testing. But the poor people, they absolutely uh, have to be tested for their use of mind-altering substances because, well, they're poor. And, uh, you know, we can't trust the poor people to be able to do what's right and This is the attitude that we hear from so many of these lawmakers. But uh, this delegate, again, uh, Delegate Purdue, has come forth on the local news to talk about this and, and shown how, quote, in the states where they've done that, drug testing for welfare, they have not had the effects they expected to have. So they have not proven to be productive. And what's going on here is the state comes up with a series of uh, suspicions that they can cite to indicate whether or not there's a reasonable cause to drug test someone who's applying for welfare. The reason they have to do that is because Florida and Michigan tried this with everybody who applies for welfare. Everybody. Just by basis of you being poor and needing help, we suspect you're a drug addict and you've got to piss in a cup to prove that you're not. And what they found, statistically speaking, was that only about 2, 2.2% of the people failed those drug tests when they were testing everybody. And the general workforce out there, the people not on welfare, fail at about 8%. So they're about one-fourth as likely, if you were applying for welfare, to fail the drug test. Now, why is that? Well, guess what? Drugs cost money. <laughs> when you're poor, you can't afford drugs. This idea that people that use uh, marijuana or and, – and folks, let's be clear. We're mostly talking about marijuana here because that's the one that stays in people's systems for so long. You know, you can do your heroin, your coke, your meth, your alcohol on the weekend, and by Monday, you're going to test clean. Smoke a joint on the weekend, you're going to test dirty for a week or two. So obviously, we're mostly catching pot smokers with this. So this idea that pot smokers are so in the grips of the addiction that they're going to forego feeding their kids or buying their kids new shoes instead to get a bag is just not borne out by the facts. It's just moralizing and infantilizing the poor, this idea that we've got to do what's best for them. But in those states, it was declared unconstitutional. The judges that reviewed these laws said, well, wait a minute, you know, even though you're poor, you still got to. Fourth Amendment, <laughs> you know, the Constitution still applies to you even if you don't have a, a big bank account, and you can't just search and seize people for no valid reason. 
That's what's caused these latest states like West Virginia to come up with valid reasons. Here's some of the valid reasons. If you're applying for welfare, here's some of the reasons in West Virginia that could get you popped for the test. A caseworker determines, based on the result of the drug screen, that the applicant demonstrates qualities indicative of substance abuse based on the indicators of the drug screen. In other words, if you failed a P-test before, then we may need to P-test you again. Or, if an applicant has been convicted of a drug-related offense within the past three years before applying for welfare. So, if you got busted for a joint two and a half years ago, and then you lost your job a year ago, and now you're facing homelessness and need some welfare, guess what? That joint from two and a half years ago means no dice. Now, the other thing that's terrible about these programs is even if you bought the idea that we're going to try to help people and try to get them out of addiction, the figures that you spend on paying for drug tests for all the people to only get 2% of them to fail and then withholding the benefits from just those few people who do fail, it actually costs you more to institute the tests than if you'd have just given the welfare to the people in the first place. <laughs> so you're actually losing, it's a losing money proposition when you institute these drug testing for welfare laws. And again, let's just understand because there's a lot of people out there that listen to these kind of rants of mine and they say, well, Russ, I have to pee test for my job. If I have to pee test for my job to pay for their welfare, my God, they should have to test for it too. Folks, the solution to your oppression is not the oppression of people weaker than you. The question you should be asking yourself is, why do I have to pee test to get a job in the first place? And you know, if we ended some of those pee tests for jobs, a lot of people wouldn't lose their jobs and need welfare. <laughs> it's a vicious cycle, isn't it? All right, stay tuned. When we come back, we're going to have Adam Eidinger on the phone from the D.C. Marijuana Expo. That's coming up next on the Russ Belville Show. Stay tuned. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the hosts of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, SoundCloud, Snapchat, LinkedIn, and Boise State University's 2400 baud modem bulletin board system from 1985. It's time for Cannabis Facts About Alzheimer's from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp, Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. A new Florida study in the journal Molecular and Cellular Neuroscience found that cannabis promotes the growth of healthy new brain tissue. 
It can slow the effects of Alzheimer's and may in fact be able to halt it entirely. A long-term study by Ohio State University's Professor Gary Wink concludes that people who regularly use marijuana get Alzheimer's at a much lower rate than others. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. Maui Wowie. Acapulco Gold. California Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Activism begins with ACT. The Rush Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda. Welcome back, everybody. 32 after the hour. And joining us today from Washington, D.C. for our activist agenda, we have Adam Eidinger on the line. Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, um, it's great to be here. Uh, we're so glad to have you. We've been following what you've been doing out there in Washington, D.C. We covered, of course, the uh, Initiative 71 campaign and, and your success in getting the Grow and Give initiative passed. So uh, thank you for all your activism, first of all. Oh, my pleasure. I mean, it's an amazing group of activists in the city right now. There's quite a scene here. Well, let's talk about the event that's happening, and then we'll talk about Washington, D.C. a little more in general. You've got this uh, smoke-out rally that's pl- uh, planned for this Saturday, April 2nd. Give people the details on that and why you're putting this rally together. It's called Reschedule 420, uh, and it's, so we're not having our normal 420 celebration in Washington, D.C., which you know in the past there have been smoke-ins on the National Mall. We're moving it to 42 because Obama has been a big zero on rescheduling or descheduling cannabis from the Controlled Substances Act. And we want uh, him to start meeting with uh, national marijuana organizations. He, we want him to not just uh, do things without any consultation. He needs to welcome the cannabis reformers into the White House before the election. If he expects any of the Democrats like myself to show up in the election, if he expects people in the Black Lives Matters movement to not start pointing the finger at him, because there have been 5 million people arrested now, over 5 million since he became president for marijuana. We want rights in all 50 states, and, you know, Bill Maher uh, really kicked us in the butt. You know, I took it personally when he said that, you know, folks, it's not legal yet, and I realized he's right. You know, we legalized it here. We have an amazing home grow situation in the nation's capital for residents. But people who come here, who visit the Capitol, they're, they're still sneaking around in alleyways. They have nowhere to legally use it. They can't legally, you know, uh, really obtain it. 
Um, and then they should be able, when you leave your home state and you travel across this great country, you should be able to take cannabis with you without fear of arrest. And that's why I think, you know, it's time. It's time for federal legalization. And this protest is a smoke-in, but it's going to be a very uh, thoughtful act of civil disobedience at 4.20 p.m. on Saturday. And, um, and, we, and we've sent a letter to the president. We've said, you know, he's never responded to any of our letters as an organization in the nation's capital. It's really pathetic. Hmm. And, um, you know, he got 90% of the vote here. He's very popular in Washington, D.C., locally. And, but, you know, it's also across this country that people in the, in the left wing are, are sort of expecting reform, and we're not getting it. So it's time to protest. It's time to remind them that you can't look good on this issue unless you do something. The protest is this uh, April 2nd, Saturday at uh, 420. Where do people need to meet for the protest? Well, it begins at 145, uh, just off of, uh, at 15th in Pennsylvania, just a block away from the White House, where we're going to be assembling a 51-foot-long joint. And uh, this is a huge work of art that's been developed for this, this protest. And uh, we're going to carry this joint together over our heads, uh, there's a graphic on our website, dcmj.org, as you can see, that explains it. And it says on this joint, Obama deschedule cannabis now. And uh, we'll, we'll have a, a series of speakers for about two hours, um, ranging from veteran voices, patient voices, uh, people that have been to jail. The Black Lives Matters movement is, is mobilizing. Um, you know, we have a diverse community here that cares about this issue, and they're all going to be heard from and even an open mic at one point is scheduled for it. And then uh, at 4.20, Ann Armstrong from the Healing Church of Rhode Island, which gives away marijuana as a sacrament to help the healing and sick, and is recognized as a 501c3 uh, tax-exempt religious organization, will lead a smoke-in. And uh, regardless of what the police tell us they're going to do, if they're going to arrest us or not, we're determined to do it. We are hopeful they won't arrest us, but, you know, we are risking arrest, and if we are arrested, we'll very likely be in jail till Monday. So the uh, uh, possession of marijuana under Initiative 71 is legal, but public display and use is still an arrestable offense? Uh, public display is legal on D.C. property, um, Just and sharing, you can share right in front of a police station, which I've seen people do on numerous occasions, actually, uh, to prove a point. Um, but you can't take marijuana onto federal property, ah. and so we'll be inside of the White House security zone, even though it's technically Pennsylvania Avenue, and that is a D.C. street uh, we'll be standing in. Um, it technically is federal property. Now, the charges will be handed over to the local authorities for use. That's what they really care about. They're not so concerned about people possessing, even in a federal park. Uh, if you're walking through, there's not someone checking you as you walk through because the city has parks everywhere. Uh, they're really more interested in someone who's using in public, because that's illegal everywhere in the city. Uh, you know, it's an interesting debate over public use, because you know, we can't get any of the national marijuana groups to come to this protest, not even speak at it, and uh, because we've said, decided to do civil disobedience. And you know, only individual normal chapters, uh, individual uh, you know, patient groups, things like that are coming, but no national groups, no MPP or, or Normal or ASA or uh, Drug Policy Alliance. And I know the heads of all these groups, and, um, and I respect their decision to, to not do this, but I do think there's a place for civil disobedience. 
And I think it's time. Uh, it's long overdue. We've had a blind spot for the president. Five million arrests have taken place. And at this point, if we don't start taking over the narrative around this issue, they'll claim that they've ended the war on drugs and they'll still be arresting a half a million or more people a year. Yeah. So I, just for marijuana. So I think it's time to, to let's re, let's take control of the narrative before it's too late, before the primaries are over, and really get the president to rethink what he said back in February, which was essentially that he's not going to reschedule before he leaves office. We want him to make some phone calls to DEA and HHS and get the ball rolling, start the rulemaking, publish it, let's get going. He has the authority already to do it. He's always, always had the authority. Essentially, he has the same policy as Richard Nixon, and I think that's just a tragedy. We're speaking with Adam Eidinger, who's uh, working on this D.C. Uh, rally that's going on this Saturday. Uh, you can Is there a website people can get more information on this if they weren't writing it all down yeah. while we were talking? Please go to dcmj.org, and all the information is there, dcmj.org. Yeah. All and right. the protest this Saturday in front of the White House. Now, you, uh, you bring up the, the need to deschedule marijuana, and uh, there was a news story I just covered where uh, libertarian presidential candidate Gary Johnson told the Washington Times that he thinks Obama will deschedule uh, before he leaves office. And then the Times reports that in the past, Obama has always punted on this issue, saying that it's a matter for Congress to have to deal with. Uh, can you tell our listeners why that's not the case, why Obama could actually do this on his own? Okay, so, you know, the Controlled Substances Act uh, has a descheduling uh, process already spelled out in the Act. It's always, it's always been there. It's simply a matter of the political will to change it, to say we want to uh, create um, a new scheduling for the substance because we've, for instance, found out that it is useful in, in uh, medical applications as medicine. I mean, that, that alone is a reason to, to take it out of Schedule 1. Uh, so if they can do this, it just takes uh, a, a, a phone call. It literally takes a phone call. And I, this is the part where, you know, the president can, needs to explain to the country why he doesn't have this authority, because it's spelled out in the act. And, uh, you know, it would be helpful if Congress passed a law that, you know, and Senator Sanders has one, you know, to deschedule. Other members have similar piece of legislation they've put forward. There's a lot of support in Congress right now to change marijuana laws, but I think they need to hear from the people. The people have been too silent recently. We've been waiting or even acting like it's done. It's not done. And, and, and that's why we're calling for people to come and participate. You don't have to get arrested. You can come and support it. You don't have to use uh, cannabis to, to support this protest, and you're not risking arrest by just being there. You're only risking arrest if you use it. So we, we think that there should be a huge number of people there, and, and we are uh, uh, hearing from people from at least a dozen states on the East Coast that are coming in, but there's also a very large contingent of people in the D.C. area. I mean, we recently had a, uh, a, co- a conference at the Mayflower that was very affordable. You know, it was like a $15 per ticket kind of thing, and uh, but, you know, 2,000 people came, and it was all about, mostly about activism, less so about the business. Hmm. And uh, I want the business to prosper. I own a cannabis business. I own a, I own a head shop in the city called Capital Hemp, and, you know, but it's not about my business. My business is legal again, thanks to the initiative. It was shut down and raided, and that's kind of what kicked us in the butt to get more political and to change the laws. And uh, But now, you know, 
I'm really compassionate to people, for instance, who live in federal subsidized housing. I heard you you talking earlier about, you know, people being denied federal benefits because of testing positive or being known as drug users. Um, we have a very big problem here where we even have medical patients, people with fibromyalgia, who live in subsidized housing under their contracts. They can't possess or use cannabis on the premises. If they go outside and use it, they're breaking the law by using it in public, which is an arrestable offense. Um, so, and then, so as a result, you actually hear, you smell a lot of cannabis around D.C. now on the streets because people are sort of weighing, well, do I lose my house or, or go to jail for the night? I'll go to jail for the night. Yeah. So that's what, that's what we have. And we actually had about 140 arrests for marijuana, which was a huge reduction from 5,700 arrests for in a typical year. It was in 2011. Um, last year it was 140. Uh, half of them were people using in public. And the other half were people who had too much weed, more than two ounces, or they were, you know, selling large quantities of marijuana, and that's still illegal in the city. But uh, our home cultivation and personal possession rights and use rights are phenomenal for the vast majority of cannabis users. And we used to have about 1% of the population going to jail every year for marijuana. It's not happening anymore. It's wonderful. We're so glad that you managed to get that law changed. And uh, I-71 passed with, what was it, 70 71% of the uh, majority? 70, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty amazing. Uh, it, was, it exceeded all of our expectations. And it really was a statement of home rule. You know, the people of Washington, D.C. don't have senators and representatives. So we only have the president who represents us. That's another reason why this protest is coming from the local population. President Obama has said he's going to move to Washington, D.C. after he uh, leaves the White House to uh, help his daughters out because they go to school here. And I have a daughter who's 12 who goes to school here, and I, I've suggested leaving the country to go to New Zealand if Donald Trump wins. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I understand how fiercely children like to have stability and like to stay in where their friends are. So he's going to do the nice thing for his children, and he's going to stay here for a few more years and rent out or buy a house. And he's going to be like the rest of us. He's going to, have, he's going to lose his rights. He's not going to have a person in Congress to represent him. And he'll be, but he'll be able to grow marijuana in his house. Yeah. And uh, and so I mean, if he wants to be cool and to be welcome in, into the DC community, which is something I'd like to do, I think he ought to, you know, do something about this issue while he's president. I'm so tired of hearing from. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Thank you so much. Uh, sorry we have to cut it off. We're out of time, but Adam Eidinger, thank you. Dr. Good luck. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot? They produce smoke, not vapor. Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. How high do you like your profit margin? Cannabisradio.com. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer. 
or email firedublawyer at gmail.com. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. You know, during Dance with the Stars, I started feeling discomfort. Yeah. And not only that, I was doing these old mountain smells. And yeah. it was kind of embarrassing because, you know, the, all the Dancing with the Stars crew, cast and crew, you know, they were all young kids. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden, this old guy would come along and do one of those silent farts, you know, that you don't know you're doing it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you smell, and everybody go, what the hell smells? And, you know, and you knew it was me. And, and so I'd scurry off to the bathroom, you know. And that's when I knew that there was something wrong. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on on CannabisRadio.com Welcome to my world. We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make them. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. Today in the Radical Rant, I want to talk about the upcoming United Nations General Assembly special session and the renewed focus that drug law reform is getting in the mainstream. And I mean drug law reform, not just marijuana law reform. And the piece I'm looking at in the International Business Times opens up with Ethan Nadelman, who uh, is the head of the Drug Policy Alliance, and as far as I'm concerned, one of the best minds in drug policy reform. And how he's got uh, an issue with marijuana now that the marijuana industry is solely focused or, or largely focused on its own legality and its own profits and ignoring the broader cause of drug law reform in general. And it's a case where even in the case of uh, marijuana law reform, some of these industries aren't too quick to donate back to the uh, the drug law reform organizations. Now, Nadelman naturally has a broader perspective because he's the head of the Drug Policy Alliance, which is an umbrella organization for all manner of drug policy reforms. We're talking, you know, needle exchange and recovery and naloxone and uh, prison sentencing reform and a lot of things that have to do with drugs in general. Whereas other groups that are involved in the marijuana movement, which would include Marijuana Policy Project, uh, Normal, uh, those groups are more specifically focused on marijuana. And this is where we're going to see an interesting shift that's going to take place. Because as marijuana becomes legalized, do marijuana reformers then go on to try to reform other drug laws? Or do more marijuana reformers get co-opted into the newly legal industry? Now, I can tell you, I have, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, at least eight or nine colleagues I can name who used to be uh, high-profile members of the drug reform organizations, SSDP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, uh, Normal, MPP, DPA, many of them, uh, National Cannabis Industries Association, and so forth that have now moved on to private positions with consulting firms or with dispensaries, uh, public relations, and so forth. So 
we have a situation where some of the best activists, some of the, the most dedicated people are being driven or, or enticed to join the newly legal market on more of a self-fulfillment basis. Now, I'm not casting aspersions on that. Uh, I, a number of these people are my friends. And as far as I'm concerned, for the, the people who put their time in as, as legalization advocates or reform advocates who often got paid very little, if anything, and, and suffered and worked harder than they'd ever hard, worked in their life, I say good for you. If you're able to make a buck in this newly legal marijuana industry, you got no moral qualms with that whatsoever. But there is the practical concern. If the people who are so good at legalizing all leave and join the industry, who's left to keep pushing the ball for legalization for all of the rest of the states? Who's going to legalize Texas? Who's going to legalize Oklahoma? And furthermore, who's going to keep legalizing in the currently legal states? We just heard Adam Eidinger talking about that for Washington, D.C., how they still don't even have legal sales in that district. We still have issues with no home grow in Washington state. So there's still a need for marijuana reform and marijuana legalization activism, even in the legal states. But as we try to transition this, for those of us who are in marijuana law reform because it's an issue of freedom, an issue of liberty, then... Those freedoms and liberties also must extend to the use of other drugs. I'm not in marijuana legalization because marijuana is the wonder drug that works wonders. As far as I'm concerned, marijuana could be a terrible thing. And that wouldn't matter because I believe we have the right to use it. But what happens is you try to transition from marijuana to the other substances is a lot of the arguments that we've made in marijuana law reform, a lot of the framing that we've used, will be impotent in the fight to reform other drug laws. For example, Marijuana Policy Project, and in particular, Mason Tavert, a communications director for MPP, headed up an organization called SAFER. And SAFER did a whole lot to set the framing that got marijuana finally legalized in Colorado. So again, this is not to take pot shots, pardon the pun, at anybody's strategy or tactics. It's just to point out what has happened. And that is this. Safer promoted this message that marijuana is safer than alcohol. And this was generated by the people at MPP and Safer doing extensive polling that found out that when people didn't know marijuana was safer than alcohol, if they thought they were equal or even if marijuana was worse, those people overwhelmingly did not support legalization. But people who did think that marijuana was safer than alcohol overwhelmingly supported legalization. So they believed that the key was the more of the people you could convert, that you could educate into understanding that marijuana is safer than alcohol, the more likely you'd pass legalization and it would appear that hypothesis was proven correct. They managed to prove that marijuana is safer than alcohol. We've got more than half of the people in America who believe it, it, even the president, who believe it's at least no more harmful than alcohol. That's the least you can say, man. It's far less harmful than alcohol, but still, no more harmful will do for now. And that change of attitudes helps to change the law for marijuana. Well, what happens when you have to apply that to cocaine or methamphetamine? or heroin. 
It's a little harder to make that argument that, well, heroin's safer than alcohol. Well, not really. <laughs> they're, they're both pretty devastating drugs. Marijuana is safer than co- or cocaine is safer than alcohol. Well, no, they're both pretty damn addictive, right? So it's, you can't use that same framing. Another frame that fails when we apply it to other drugs is the tax revenue frame. Ah, we'll legalize marijuana, we'll raise taxes off marijuana, we'll tax and regulate, and we'll have all this tax money for marijuana. And sure, because a lot of people use marijuana. And those people that use it, use it over a long period of time of their life. People that are on the hard drugs, first of all, there's not that many of them. And second of all, if if they're lucky, they don't use it over a long, continuous period of their life. It's a phase they go through, right? And third, if you were going to build a market, you wouldn't want to build a market for hard drugs that had to depend on people continuously using them. I mean, that's the market we've got for alcohol. We don't want to apply that to cocaine, meth, or heroin. So the tax revenue argument doesn't work very well with legalizing other drugs either. There wouldn't be enough to raise. And the Sabbath conjecture would actually kick in. The Sabbath conjecture is when Kevin Sabet used to say, well, legalizing marijuana wouldn't be a good tax revenue enhancer because alcohol and tobacco only raise one-tenth in taxes what they cost to society. For every $1 we raise in alcohol and tobacco taxes, they cost $10 in wrecks and emphysema and cancer and all the things that alcohol and tobacco cause, which is a fallacy because, of course, alcohol and tobacco are toxic and addictive and cannabis is not. But cocaine is, heroin is, meth is, those things are toxic and addictive. So the Sabbat conjecture, uh, the Sabbat conjecture might actually work with respect to legalizing those other drugs. You could say, yeah, we could legalize cocaine and tax it, but for every dollar we'd raise in cocaine taxes, we'd lose $5 in addiction or $10, whatever the figure is. So we can't use the safer argument. We can't use the tax and regulate argument. The only argument that works well for all drug legalization is the harm reduction argument. It's the argument that says that, look, here's a substance and it can have some pretty harmful effects. Heroin can make you a junkie and you know cocaine can it can empty your bank account and you know speed can rot your face right all these terrible things that could happen but making them illegal and letting criminals control the market makes all those things worse and that's where that's where drug reform has to go if you're a marijuana reformer maybe it's time to start applying that lesson to marijuana Instead of framing it as safer than alcohol and tax revenue, which it is, but try to start steering the conversation to even if marijuana was as bad as alcohol, it should be legal because alcohol is legal because we figured out even when a drug is bad, making it illegal makes it worse. I often point out that we already legalized alcohol and and compared to heroin, coke, meth, and uh, yeah, I got them all, heroin, coke, and meth, compared to those three drugs, alcohol is as dangerous or worse in some respects. So if we figured out that the most harmful drug used by the most number of people was more harmful when it was illegal than when it's legal, then that principle should apply to the other hard drugs. And legalization of other hard drugs does not mean that they have to be available at dispensaries like we do with marijuana. 
they could be just medical only, non-profits, maintenance doses. There's all sorts of ways this could be handled. But I think it's important for those of us as marijuana reformers to make sure that we're not making things... I'm not saying you have to be a drug reformer. Maybe marijuana is the only one you want to deal with. Maybe that's the only one morally you feel is right to defend. That's fine. But let's not make things harder for the people that are trying to help people with serious drug addictions. It's all the time we got for Hour 1, but stay tuned. Hour 2 is next with your calls at 971-533-7111. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers! This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Joker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can tope. I am here. Or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about tope on Joker Talk Radio. So by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Poplin, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. And is it real? We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. Yeah, welcome back, Tokers and Tokets. Glad to have you here. It's Hour 2, Toker Talk Radio, on the air live from Boulder City, Nevada. That's right, I'm hanging out here in Nevada, just outside of the Lake Mead area, and uh, going to try to make my way to the Hoover Dam. I've never been to the Hoover Dam. I think that would be pretty cool to see, so we'll try that. Our phone lines are open at 971-533-7111. That's 971-533-7111. And I'm hoping to hear from Marcus sometime soon. I got an email, or actually a tweet, uh, from Marcus, the Afro Redneck. Uh, you may, if you follow my uh, Instagram feed, when I was in Texas, 
I took a picture of a t-shirt, the damnedest thing. I took a picture of this t-shirt that someone had up for sale that was the Confederate flag, right? Stars and bars on the t-shirt. And then it had the words Afro redneck across it. And I'm like, that's weird. I wonder who would wear a shirt like that. And then I walk outside and there's Marcus, this African-American gentleman wearing the t-shirt. And so he said he'd like to call in sometime. I'd love to hear from him because I, I, I'm just interested in the perspective, right? Because so, you know, we've heard so much about the Confederate flag and these southern states that are now, you know, taking it down. South Carolina uh, took their flag down and so forth. Uh, and I'm just wondering what his perspective on is on that. I'm, you know, I'm from the Pacific Northwest. It's, it's, it's a debate that to me seems pretty clear. It seems, seems clear to me, right? Like, we are the United States of America. We are a country. And there was an insurgency in our country amongst 11 southern states that seceded unconstitutionally and formed a terrorist insurgency against our United States. They attacked our United States. And then they were defeated in that war at the cost of more Americans than any war before or since. And we let them fly that flag still? (laughs) This is the flag of a terrorist insurgency that tried to destroy our country. Now, I hear the arguments, oh, it's heritage, it's heritage. But that heritage is being the states that rebelled against the United States and tried to destroy it. And so I don't understand the the celebration of that as a heritage. Now, I'm not making the direct comparison, but I'll at least point out that after the Germans lost World War II, the swastika was a banned symbol. You still can't show it in Germany. It's a banned symbol. Now, I don't agree with that. I'm pro-First Amendment. I think show whatever symbol you want. I'm not saying ban the Confederate flag. I'm just saying I don't understand being proud of it. But, you know, I could be wrong. Give me a call. Tell me I'm wrong. 971-533-7111. I did have a quick international note I wanted to bring to you, and this was a Supreme Court ruling in Denmark, of all places. And, and, you know, we've heard about Denmark lately because, you know, Bernie Sanders was running, and and, uh, he often brings up Denmark as an example of democratic socialism in action. But there is a... uh, A ruling that came from the Supreme Court in Denmark that found that if you get a DUI for drugs, if you get a a cannabis DUI, a pot DUI, it doesn't matter whether or not you were smoking the pot or it was secondhand smoke. That's right. This guy got busted for a DUI. He argued that it was the passenger in his car that was smoking weed, not him. But he still failed the uh, tests and got the DUI, appealed it all the way to the Supreme Court. The Danish Supreme Court said, sorry, Charlie, any cannabis in your system is worthy of a DUI, no matter how it got there. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com. 
helping gondrepreneurs grow. Seed to sale, clicks to conversions, and more. You're listening to the Cannabis Radio Network. Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. This is Dan Michaels from DanMichaelsAudio.com. And you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. Cannabis is just one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that we can use consciously and intelligently to improve our well-being. Take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. Learning to live and live well is a lifelong process. This is a journey. It could be you could be 80 years old or 8 years old. You can still learn something that's going to make tomorrow a little bit healthier, a little bit easier, a little bit happier, a little bit better. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Most of us pirates, we go on vacation to North Dakota, you know, because they've got a town called Argusville. What are you smoking there, boy? This is Dan Michaels from DanMichaelsAudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. Eight after the hour here at CannabisRadio.com. I'm coming to you live from Boulder City, Nevada. Nice day today. Kind of dry. Dehydrated as hell, i got to be honest. <laughs> Desert's really getting to me. we got some more international news for you on the cannabis front. And this latest story comes to us by way of MaryJane.com. M-E-R-R-Y-Jane.com. This, of course, uh, the... Uh, I believe this is the Snoop Dogg Media Outlet. This is his cannabis outlet. And they've been putting together some pretty good stories as of late. Their latest one is that the Brits are modeling their cannabis legislation after the U.S. There's a report being drafted by leaders in the U.K. to allow the legal purchase of cannabis in retail locations which they estimate could generate 1 billion British pounds in tax revenue. Now, an interesting difference from the British view of legalization would be this would be for adults 18 and older. According to Norman Lamb of the Transform Drug Policy Foundation, quote, oh, I'm sorry, Steve Rolls, uh, the chairman of the Transform Drug Policy Foundation, says, quote, the reality is that millions of people use cannabis in the UK and there is a pressing need for government to take control of the trade from gangsters and unregulated dealers, end quote. Uh, some of the points would be that adults would buy cannabis from single-purpose stores. That'd be just pot shops, can't sell anything else there, like the marijuana dispensaries in Oregon and Colorado. There would be home cultivation of cannabis, legal for personal use, and small-scale licensed cannabis social clubs. Now, this is great news uh, and would outdo what the legalization we have in Oregon and Colorado because we're still fighting to get cannabis social clubs. My good friend Greg DeHote uh, with the UK Cannabis Social Clubs, they've been uh, pioneering this model for years now. 
And it's good to know that their sorts of clubs could be recognized as legal under these uh, proposals in the UK. Unlike marijuana in Oregon and Colorado, however, branding, promoting, and advertising cannabis products would be banned. And this is something that's going to be easier to pull off in the UK than is to accomplish in the United States because of our robust First Amendment that protects commercial speech to a degree that it's not protected in the UK. A ban on cannabis advertising is perfectly legitimate in the UK. Of course, there'd be labeling of the potency and uh, the ingredients, uh, you know, the, the cannabinoid profiles of the cannabis sold there. There would be a new government regulator established to oversee the market, and the price would be disproportionately high for higher strength cannabis to discourage sales of the most harmful forms of the drug. Now, an example, right? 10% THC bud would be regular price. 20% THC bud would be an extra 50% surcharge. Uh, extracts would be double the price. Uh, example, this isn't in their guidelines. I'm just making up numbers, right, to give you an idea. And this is a terrible idea. The marketplace should set the prices of the products. This is the same sort of syntaxing idea that governments try to do with alcohol or tobacco. And if you're going to have a syntax, that's fine. But you want your syntax to be equal on all the products. See, a syntax, if you were dealing with alcohol, right, and you put a 10% tax on beer, but a 50% tax on whiskey, that could work because beer ain't whiskey, right? But in the case of cannabis, if you put a, a syntax on cannabis that is a greater syntax for somebody that's using extracts than someone that's using herb, then all you're going to do is incentivize people to buy a whole bunch of herb and process it themselves into extract in order to beat the tax, right? So, so keep the tax on the extract at the same level it would be as if you had gotten the equivalent amount of bud and, and then processed it into extract, then maybe you're talking. All right, let's go to our phone lines. We got a call coming in from the nine, uh, 765 area code. You're on the air with Toker Talk Radio. What's on your mind? Uh, yes, this is uh, Bryce Keller from uh, Green Fight over here in Ohio. Uh, just uh, running through my phone calls for the day and saw 420 Radio and decided to give you guys a call. Right on. What's happening in Ohio? Well, lots of exciting stuff. Uh, on Thursday, March 31st, the uh, Ohio State House Medical Marijuana Task Force will wrap up their hearings, and uh, we're hoping that they'll come out with some sort of uh, proposed legislation this summer. Wasn't this? Uh, wasn't the Ohio legislature looking at some really limited type of medical marijuana, though, like no home grow and no smoking kind of stuff? <clears throat> well, we we think that some of the people have asked questions in that vein, but. Uh, Dr. Sue Sicily has even come out here and talked about how um, people have been, and, and particularly veterans, have been interacting with the uh, medical marijuana community and the established uh, market of marijuana, and that uh, smoking and the access to home grow actually uh, makes sense in a uh, a medical application format. So I hope that the Medical Marijuana Task Force 
really considers those issues. And uh, in our green fight report that we intend to submit, uh, we are going to be advocating for home grow uh, as well. And what is your group that's uh, doing this advocate work? Uh, green fight. So green we, uh, okay. um, yeah, we're a group of uh, activists and we uh, provide activist tools to the community. There's uh, a robust amount of groups, uh, all with various names and with various uh, objectives in Ohio. As Ohio is a very populous and uh, kind of a, well, it's a medium-sized state, so we have different uh, corners of the state that are working on different issues that affect them. And uh, Green Fight provides activist tools for all efforts for legalization. Well, that's great. I'm glad you guys are working on that. Uh, for our listeners out there, can you tell them how to find you on the Internet? Yeah, so they can go to greenfightohio.com, or they can just simply put hashtag greenfight, and uh, then we'll run across them in due course. Right on, man. I'm glad you're doing that. Now, how does the uh, how are the initiative battles looking? I know there. You said there's a lot of groups out there. Uh, I know MPP got theirs passed the first hurdle with the uh, attorney general. Uh, is it looking like those are viable this year? MPP is very viable in Ohio. They have selected excellent leaders uh, to run their campaign, and we are hoping for uh, success. Success being having the opportunity for the. Uh, electorate to consider their proposal at the uh, November 2016 uh, ballot. There's another group uh, called Grassroots uh, that is working on a um, patient rights-oriented or rights-oriented uh, proposal that will lead some of it up to the legislator, legislature, from what I understand. Okay. And uh, there is some concern about uh, infighting that might result from that, but ultimately it's great that uh, there are uh, many people working on different paths. We actually have our Libertarian Party chair has somehow figured out a way to get a previous medical marijuana proposal uh, placed through the Legislative Cons Service Commission in Ohio, which allows it to be um, voted on and then signed by the governor. So it could be, I mean, really, if the governor wanted to make medical marijuana, there is a way to do it rather in rather short order. Wow. All right. Well, uh, we'll keep our eyes on those initiative possibilities. And it's my hope that the, the success of the people working the initiatives really kind of lights a fire underneath the Ohio legislature to realize they better you know, get on, get on it or else we're just going to go ahead and pass it without them. Right, and I think that that's a theme that is playing out in Ohio. If you, uh, um, if you think about last year, we went from a kind of obscure uh, state on marijuana because we have decriminalization here. Consumers are not criminals, and uh, there's a decriminalization level at 100 grams. So people are thinking, well, it's not, it's not that bad. There's not a whole lot of uh, persons in jail right now. But um, they're still feeling the pressure from uh, where we captivated the nation by, uh, I saw a, a Google map of everything that was searched uh, in the various states. And the thing that led in Ohio was legalizing weed or some variation of it. Hmm. So uh, Green Fight was... Uh, 
working on that project for the entirety of the year, and we are very proud of that fact that our people think that this is an issue that needs to be brought to the legislature. And I've attended all the medical marijuana task force meetings to date, and it seems like um, that viewpoint is being impressed upon them. Well, that's great news. I want to thank you for calling in and, and telling us what's going on in Ohio. And I want to encourage other listeners out there as well. When, when we say this show is the voice of the marijuana nation, this is exactly what we're talking about. Your opportunity to call in and tell us what's going on in your state. You know better than we do. So thanks again for calling in. We appreciate it. All right. Yes, sir. Have a great day. Bye. All right, and uh, yeah, the phone number is 971-533-7111, and if you're listening on podcast and you can't call in live, that's fine too, because our listener line has a 24-hour voice messaging system, so you can call anytime. Give us an update. It'll record for a long time. You can talk for two, three minutes, and we'll be glad to play that. Let people know what's going on in your local area. Because really, the politics of marijuana reform happen best at the local level. What you can do in your city, even if it's like lowest law enforcement priority or even a just a symbolic statement from your city council, can have a great effect as we move forward for statewide and national reforms. That's how we've passed everything so far. There are some who call me... Tim. <laughs> Tim the Enchanter has joined us here. It's 4.20 in the Pacific Time Zone. Happy 4.20 to everybody out there. No matter what time zone you're in, I hope you're able to enjoy this next safety briefing. When we come back, we got more in the marijuana news coming at you with a story about Sam Oregon and alcohol, the lesser of two evils. Stay tuned. Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. You know, during Dance with the Stars, I started feeling discomfort. Yeah. And not only that, I was doing these old man smells. And it was kind of embarrassing because, you know, the, all the Dancing with the Stars crew, cast and crew, you know, they were all young kids. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden, this old guy would come along and do one of those silent farts, you know, that you don't know you're doing it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you smell, and everybody go, what the hell smells? And, you know, and you knew it was me. And, and so I'd scurry off to the bathroom, you know. And that's when I knew that there was something wrong. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on... CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. The world. Russ Belleville Show. We're as much like Cheech and Chong as ordinary Americans are like the Three Stooges. Hey, Mo! Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Normal. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORMAL. Every strain, every sale, every medical study. Keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network. 
Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest growing business association in the fastest growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel One on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. I just can't remember what it is. Why'd I come in here? You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. It's 23 after the hour, and for this segment, (laughs) we got some debunking to do. We got some names to call, and uh, this first one, of course, is a regular that we discuss here on the show, and that's Project Sam, the so-called smart approaches to marijuana. I like to call him Project Samuel, smart approaches to marijuana use except legalization. And they have chapters now. Project Sam is headed by Kevin Sabet, who is the longtime drug warrior, and Sabet is the best of these guys. And and by best, I mean most capable, most able to spin the layers of bullshit and still keep a straight face, right? The most effective of their crew. And by no means is that a compliment. (laughs) I'm just saying, you know, technically speaking, as an orator, as a presenter, as a debater, Kevin Sabet's the best they got. And I wipe the floor with Kevin Sabet. So the rest of them, are more like the Bush League. And one of the Bush Leaguers out there is a guy by the name of Randy Philbrick. He's the head of Project Sam's Oregon chapter. Now, imagine what you got to be to be the guy who wants to fight to recriminalize marijuana in legal Oregon. Imagine that you're that guy. Now, I can see why Kevin Sabet would pick Randy, because that's right up Kevin Sabet's alley. Kevin Sabet actually started his career at the University of California, Berkeley, forming a group called Students for a Drug-Free Berkeley, which he jokes, this is Kevin Sabet's own joke, he says, is like forming Frenchmen for a wine-free France. And he thinks that's a funny joke, right? (laughs) No, it, it would be offensive to Frenchmen and... Well, offensive to all of us, and especially people at the University of Berkeley, to say that all Berkeley, for God's sake, <laughs> we're talking about hippy dippy trippy land. Uh, anyway, so that's Kevin Sabet, but this uh, Randy Philbrick kind of fits the mold because he's another one of these guys that's tilting at windmills, has this quixotic quest to try to really recriminalize marijuana in the state of Oregon. So he put out this post on Facebook. And it's an offense to all the medical marijuana patients in the state of Oregon. Let me just read it verbatim. He says, quote, Oregon legislature legislators this past session passed a bill that will allow some dispensaries to sell recreational marijuana and medical marijuana under the same roof. The OLCC, however, is not pleased about this move because they want regulations to track marijuana from seed to sale. Medical marijuana dispensaries don't have that regulation, 
and the OLCC feels that this policy will undermine their regulations. But seeing as there is no such thing as, quote, medical, end quote, marijuana, wouldn't calling a dispensary medical or recreational just be semantics? If you've noticed the spike in OMMP card applications since legalization, it's a safe assumption that medical marijuana dispensaries will be recreational dispensaries anyway. And then there's the myth that the OLCC is pushing that you can regulate a plant that can reproduce. Well, first of all, when he says, uh, uh, what's the line here? There is no such thing as medical marijuana. Well, first of all, he says T-H-E-I-R. There is no such thing. So can't even you know properly uh, communicate using the English language. But there is no such thing as medical marijuana. Now, I'm going to shock you a bit here. Because I agree. There is no such thing as medical marijuana. There is such a thing as marijuana. And that marijuana can have great medical benefits for the people who need those medical benefits. But there's nothing about the marijuana that's called medical marijuana that is any different from the marijuana that is called marijuana. Or recreational marijuana, so to speak. If I get a bud of super silver haze that's 24% THC, and I hold it up in front of you, is that medical marijuana or is that recreational marijuana? Well, it doesn't make any difference. It's just, it's marijuana. (laughs) It's just marijuana, man. Now, if I'm sick, if I got epilepsy, maybe I vaporize that super silver haze and it cures my seizures. Or maybe I'm bored on a Saturday night and I smoke that super silver haze and I watch Netflix and eat Cheetos and go to bed. It doesn't, whether or not what my purpose is in using it doesn't magically transmogrify the substance into some other substance. Now, the other thing that's, that's funny about this is how he's saying there's this massive spike in patient applications. Currently, the latest statistical snapshot for the Oregon Medical Marijuana Program showed 77,000 patients. January 2016, latest data. January 2015 data shows 70,000 patients. So we went from 70 to 77,000. That's supposedly a massive spike, an increase by 10%. Now, I've got data from the Oregon Medical Marijuana Program that goes back quite a ways. And I'm going to see if I can find some of this Oregon data for you because I don't think that 10% increase is really much of a difference. Let's see. OregonMedicalMarijuana.xlx. Let's pull that little Excel file up here. And that's not the one I'm needing. So let's try a different one. But... um, We have had roughly the same increase in medical marijuana uh, patients year by year over time. I don't think this is that we've had any sort of massive spike. I'm going to have to find those numbers because I I can't seem I don't seem to find them right there in the uh, Excel folder. Let's see if I've got a chart of this information from Oregon. But saying there's some sort of massive spike, I think, is a mistelling of the data, misreading of the data. 
I'll look that up for you a little bit later. Uh, the other problem with the Project Sam point of view here is this myth that the OLCSE is pushing that you can regulate a plant that can reproduce. What kind of silly word salad is that that Randy just tossed up? We're supposed to think that the government can't regulate a plant that can reproduce? What in the fuck is the Department of Agriculture then? (laughs) I just... Every state has one, Randy. Every state has a Department of Agriculture. The federal government has a Department of Agriculture. The very purpose of the department is to regulate plants that reproduce. (laughs) What an amazing non sequitur that is. But at the core of what Randy's saying in this post, I can find some agreement. Because I, too, disagree with this artificial distinction that tries to separate marijuana into two separate markets called recreational and medical. As far as I'm concerned, marijuana is a product that is for sale, and the reason you need to buy it is irrelevant. The only meaningful distinction in marijuana commerce is personal versus commercial. Whether or not I'm growing a bunch of plants at home for my own personal use and thereby don't need to be under the thumb of the government regulating my every move because it's just, I'm growing my own zucchini. I'm growing my own potatoes. I'm growing my own corn. I'm growing my own cannabis plants. There should be the similar level of concern. With one exception, I am fine with there being laws that say you got to keep the plants secured Just because the reality that we live under a prohibition that makes those plants worth stealing and the the value of that makes it worth defending and the value of that makes it worth violence and we don't need that. I'm fine with regulations that punish people that recklessly allow their kids to get a hold of marijuana. Though I'm not necessarily in favor of punishing parents who let their kids use marijuana. So might have some wiggle room in this area, but, you know, there's a lot of states where the law on alcohol is that kids can't have alcohol unless it's at home with their parents' permission. And that is, you know, a lot of times that is for, you know, religious reasons, the parents having ceremonies with wine and letting the kids have wine. But in other circumstances, it's just, it's just cultural where, you know, it's, it's okay for you and the, and the son to bond as father and son and share a Pabst Blue Ribbon or something. And I think I think I can I can support that as well when we're talking about marijuana, because we're not talking about something that used once or twice responsibly with parental supervision is going to cause a massive problem for the for the kid. There's a lot of gray in some of this stuff, folks. You know, sometimes it's not all black and white. I think I know a lot of parents. I can tell you right off top. I know a lot of parents who use marijuana and share with their kids. And I'm talking kids, not even 18 yet. Sometimes 16. I've seen sometimes I've seen 14 year olds whose parents smoke in front of their kids and allow their kids to smoke marijuana. And these kids are getting fine grades. They're not juvenile delinquents. They're fine. Right. I've got a lot of colleagues who grew up, who, you know, I talked to them. When did you first start smoking pot? Oh, like I was 12, I was 13, right? And they're doing fine. They're, they're existing just fine, right? So there's a lot of gray area in this. 
I think there's a lot of difference between a parent who wants to share that experience with their kids and has the attitude of, well, I'm going to let you do it here with me supervised rather than sneaking behind my back and doing it out in the alley with your friends versus the parent who's negligent, leaves their stash out, doesn't know their kid is sneaking into it and using it and taking it to school and selling it to the other kids. That's where, you know, there's a, a responsibility element to this that makes a huge difference. And that's why I also oppose, you know, these blanket laws and, and uh, uh, what do they call it, uh, mandatory minimums and, and such that take this sort of discretion out of a judge's hands. I think there are cases where, you know, you find the kid with marijuana and if the parents come in to, to trial and, and we don't see any harm to the kid, kid's getting good grades, he's not physically harmed, the parents are fine with it and are aware of what's going on and have given their permission, I think there ought to be leeway for a judge to say, hey, this is a family matter. This family seems to have it under control. These are going to be difficult questions as we continue to move on this spectrum of legalization throughout the states. You know, we, we've, we've come to grips with legalized alcohol and we've come to recognize that there are, is some leeway in the, in the parental relationship governing alcohol where it's not necessarily frowned upon for the dad to have a beer with the son before he's of legal age to drink beer. You know me, my rule, make it 18 for everything. 18 years old, you're an adult for everything. Voting joining the army, getting married, tobacco, alcohol, marijuana, 18 for everything, or or getting your high school diploma. You want to see those dropout rates <laughs> fall through the floor? <laughs> make make your high school diploma your weed card, man. <laughs> watch, watch those kids be paying real close attention around test time. <laughs> be right back. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, more flavor. We have your smoking section right here. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the new era. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts 
for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com Pod 2.0 It's not your father's Woodstock weed. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. 38 after the hour here from beautiful Boulder City, Nevada. So we've been covering this study for the past few days. It's been up on Newsweek and USA Today, and it just gets a lot of ink because anytime there's a study that says something bad about marijuana, you can guarantee it's ultimate clickbait and everybody wants to read it and this is the one that that does more of the number crunching on the the data from dunedin new zealand so this this dunedin data has been like a treasure trove for prohibitionists to come up with all these latest scare data about marijuana consumption the first dunedin data was the six point or the eight point iq drop you've heard that one over and over again And the latest one is the one that says that the marijuana users who used early in life often have worse financial outcomes later in life. Okay, and we've been covering all this. And the Dunedin data is interesting because what they are in New Zealand, they've got, you know, national health care like a civilized society would have. And so they're able to have regular screenings of their population. And, And so they've been following this one group. Uh, 947 individuals in this group, they've been following them through the years. And so every two, three years, they can do an update and find out what's going on with these guys. So what they found is that 18% of the people that were involved in this were marijuana dependent and 15% were classified as regular cannabis users. Then obviously there's got to be a lot of overlap in that. And it was 11 follow-up assessments from birth to age 38. This is the the Dunedin, New Zealand data. So what they found, uh, according to the research team, was regular cannabis users experienced downward social mobility and more financial problems, such as troubles with debt and cash flow, than those who did not report such persistent use. Regular long-term users also had more antisocial behaviors at work, such as stealing money or lying to get a job, and experienced more relationship problems, such as intimate partner violence and controlling abuse. The findings remained constant even after controlling for such factors as childhood socioeconomic problems, lower IQ scores, depression, and antisocial behavior in adolescence, lower motivation to achieve, higher levels of impulsivity, criminal convictions, and the abuse of alcohol and other drugs. So supposedly... In this test, they've controlled for everything. What they haven't controlled for is prohibition. The very fact that the drug is prohibited makes it a criminal act to be involved with the procuring, possession, and use of that contraband substance. That in and of itself is going to lead to the possibility of a worse outcome in life. Just statistically speaking. You know, they say they try to control for criminal convictions, but how can you control for the criminal conviction when the behaviors in your life are going to be motivated to avoid a criminal conviction? What I'm saying here is even if you took into account 
people who were unlucky enough to get busted. The people who were lucky enough not to get busted were only lucky enough because they were exhibiting behaviors. They were exhibiting a due diligence to paying attention to their what they're doing and their choices to avoid getting busted. It's, it's that observational bias. It's the situation where, you know, reality TV isn't really reality TV because the minute you put a camera on someone, they behave in an unreal fashion. Well, same thing is going for people under marijuana prohibition. Because it's illegal, they're behaving in a way to avoid criminality. Now, those behaviors can include things like not trying to get a particular scholarship because you know that scholarship has a drug test or not applying for a particular job because you know that job has a particular drug test or having a job and then losing that job because you tested positive on a drug test. And when they see this antisocial behaviors at work, like stealing money or lying to get a job, well, well, just trying to get a job, if you're a drug user that asks you whether or not you use drugs, you have to lie to get the job. And the stealing money and such, well, if you're on a job and you've been working hard and you get thrown off of that job for a factor having nothing to do with how good of an employee you are, but because you tested positive on a drug test, well, maybe you've got a little bit of an attitude and you swipe some stuff from the company on your way out. So there's just more propensity. There's more likelihood for these people to be in the situations that would lead to these problems. And then we say intimate partner violence and controlling abuse as if, as if we're supposed to believe regular marijuana smokers are the people who turn into the folks that beat their, beat their spouses. No, what causes relationship problems like that, intimate partner violence like that are, is the frustration in life is, is being oppressed and repressed that leads one to lash out and be violent when we're taking alcohol out of the situation. So yeah, if, if your life is more stressful because drug tests and the criminality of drugs has forced you into a lower life position, being in a lower life position, being in poverty causes more stress, more stress leads to more intimate partner violence. There's so much chicken and the egg in this, like what caused what that you can't really make the case they're trying to make in this. They also point out that they say, um, Both alcohol and cannabis abusers experienced similar declines in social class. They were both more likely to carry out antisocial behaviors in the workplace and to have relationship problems. So both alcohol and pot led to the same worse outcome when it came to those factors. However, heavy cannabis users were more likely than the alcohol abusers to have severe financial difficulties, such as reporting difficulty finding enough money to eat. Well, yeah, and that's making my point for me. What's the difference between alcohol and cannabis in that respect? You don't lose your job for alcohol. They don't test you for alcohol. There's no social pressure to not use alcohol. There's no need to have to hide the fact that you're a drinker from your coworkers. Those factors exist when we're talking about cannabis. And then this final quote. This is another one that bothers me because you hear it from Kevin Sabat and other drug legal uh, uh, prohibitionists, they say, quote, alcohol is still a bigger problem than cannabis because alcohol use is more prevalent than cannabis use. But as the legalization of cannabis increases around the world, the economic and social burden posed by regular cannabis use could increase as well. Bullshit. 
Alcohol is a bigger problem than cannabis because it is a worse drug. Pharmacologically speaking, the effects of alcohol cause more impairment, more bad judgment, more aggression than cannabis. This is their argument they're trying to make. They're trying to say, well, look, half the people drink. And since half the people drink, a certain percentage of them are going to be problem drinkers. And a certain percentage of problem drinkers are going to cause problems in society. Now, marijuana, only 8% of the people use marijuana, and a certain percentage of them will have a problem, and a certain percentage of them will cause problems to society, not just themselves. So if we make the 8% bigger, then that's going to make that small sliver of the bad people bigger, and there'll be more problems. Yeah, but what are the problems that you get from the marijuana user as compared to the alcohol user? On the one-to-one basis, give me one alcoholic and one pothead, I will show you more damage to society from the alcoholic. So even if there is an increase in marijuana users, how much damage they cause to society still only increases by how harmful they were in the first place. And unlike alcohol, where indeed we only make $1 in tax revenues for every $10 in problems from that small sliver that give us the problems, with marijuana, we bring in far much more in tax revenue than any problems that are created by the small sliver of people that are cannabis abusers that hurt society. Increasing how many cannabis users there are would therefore increase how much tax revenue comes in and actually have a net positive benefit in harm reduction since we would be bringing in still so much more money in tax revenue to help those cannabis users. And furthermore, one last point. When cannabis is illegal, the small sliver of people that do have the cannabis problem can't report it. They're not like the small sliver of alcoholics who can get all sorts of social uh, uh, sympathy and treatment options for the alcoholism. When you're a pothead and you do have a problem with it, just admitting that can cost you your job. When we legalize it, we allow people that small sliver that do have the problems to be able to come forth, to be able to get their health care, and to be able to help themselves with their dependence issue. And you know here on, on the Russ Belville Show, I never, I never shy away from accepting the fact that some people do have a problem with marijuana. It's just a whole lot smaller group of people in comparison to the people who have problems with other drugs. And that's not to demonize other drugs. That's just to recognize the reality of the addiction potential of these different substances. There are physiological, psychopharmacological differences in these molecules. Even though we feel we should treat all drug consumers with respect and that none of them should be criminals for what they do to themselves we still have to recognize that different drugs do different things. That's only just a reality that we should all, it shouldn't be even controversial for us to accept that. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we will start to uh, close up the show here for you on CannabisRadio.com. Give you a preview of who's coming up the rest of the week here from Las Vegas. And then next week, we'll be back in Portland, Oregon. And we'll give you the lineup for next week's shows as well.
is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Growing green to generate more green. Hello to all you happy herbalizers, smiling, trippy hippies, and everyone who believes in freedom and tolerance. This is The Grow Show, and I'm Kyle Cushman. From food to fuel, from remedy to resource. Welcome my guest, Ed Rosenthal, the guru of ganja. Let me ask you, right now I hear your lighter clicking. Are you smoking indoor, or are you smoking sun-grown? What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate. Right? <laughs> Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the, the, the king, right? You just have you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case. <laughs> the Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Get the latest updates on the Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter. And liking the Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. It's time for Cannabis Facts about teen drug use from Robert Platchorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. A recent survey by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control indicates that in states that have legalized medical marijuana, the rate of marijuana consumption among high school students has not increased. In fact, in legal states like Colorado, teen use has actually decreased significantly. It's simply no longer a big deal for teenagers in legal states. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. Earn your PhD in THC monetization with cannabisradio.com. Don't be late. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo for Earth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome! You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Closing up shop here at Cannabis Radio on the Russ Belleville Show, reminding you to tune in the rest of this week, except Thursday. I'll be off on Thursday because I'm flying back to Portland. But on tomorrow's show, we've got Hemp Day Hump Day. Doug Fine will be joining us, giving us the latest update on industrial hemp from around the world. And then on Friday, April Fool's Day, we've got Matt from MedEx talking about uh, MedEx product. And then uh, next week in Portland, a full lineup. Monday, of course, Dr. Mitch with our Cannabis Q&A. Tuesday, Chris Thompson from Normal on our activist agenda. We've got uh, Vincent Medizade. Med- 
Medizadeh, I think his name is pronounced. The author of Humor Rising will be joining us on Wednesday's show. On Thursday's show, another great speaker from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, Cops Say Legalized Drugs. And on Friday's show, Kevin McCormick will be joining us, and uh, he is running for office in Arizona and wants to make marijuana reform a part of his platform, so we'll talk to him about that. If you've got guest suggestions or you want to get your interview on the Russ Belville Show, just contact me. I'm available at Radical Russ everywhere, and that includes Gmail, RadicalRuss at gmail.com, and uh, we'll talk about it. I'll send you out to Coleco, and he'll work out uh, how we can get an interview, maybe a sponsorship package taken care of for you. That would be great. We also have been talking about the schedule for the Russ Belleville show. And again, I'll probably be out at uh, the Blazers versus Nugs show at the Moda Center on Wednesday, April 13th. And then on the 14th through the 16th, Patients Out of Time Conference in Baltimore, as well as the 15th through the 17th SSDP Conference in Washington, D.C., as well as Mark Kleiman's Cannabis Summit, the 17th and 18th in New York, followed by the United Nations General Assembly Special Session in New York City, UNGAS. Then I'll be flying back to Oregon for Sunday the 24th, the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. Tommy Chong and Dr. Carl Hart are headlining. And now I'm adding some new events for the last week of April. And I'm really looking forward to this because I'll get to add two more states to my uh, back tattoo of places that I've visited. I've been invited to be a speaker and a correspondent to cover the Unity Torch, uh, the Unity Cipher Torch that's making its way from Portland, Maine, all the way to Miami, Florida. And the idea is to, uh, to raise awareness and camaraderie amongst East Coast marijuana reformers. So Portland, Maine, all the way to Miami, Florida. I'm going to join them in North Carolina. So this will be on Monday, the 25th. I'll make my way to Raleigh, North Carolina. Wednesday, it'll be in South Carolina, and I'll be visiting uh, Timmy Harris, a.k.a. Big Daddy Fink in South Carolina. And then the 29th and 30th, the Unity Torch will be in Atlanta, Georgia. Then we make our way to Jacksonville, Florida, May 1st through 3rd. Orlando, Florida, May 4th through 5th. And then Miami on May 6th. And then I'll be flying back to Dallas for the Global Cannabis March on May 7th. So that's the uh, that's the outlook for the next few weeks here on the Rust Belleville Show. So we really appreciate all your support. And if you've been a longtime listener and would like to show your donation in dollars, we could really use that as well. Just PayPal some money my way. Russ at RadicalRuss.com is the PayPal address. And uh, we will be upgrading the RadicalRust.com website here very shortly. Uh, in fact, all the next couple of weeks in Portland, is that's what I'm going to be working on. Uh, got a new podcasting platform we're going to put forth on RadicalRust.com and reintroduce the concept of our VIPs. I've had a number of you who've been donating for uh, years through PayPal as 420 Radio VIPs. We're going to convert that. You won't have to do anything. You'll be automatically converted to a... Uh, RadicalRust.com VIP and we'll have all sorts of special stuff for you once we get that set up. That's all the time we got for today. It's been a great two hours hanging out and talking with you. Thanks for joining us. Tell your friends all about the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com We are the voice of the Marijuana Nation and I will be out here covering the world of marijuana legalization and reform from state to state 
and country to country, and it will always be free for you to hear. Thanks for sharing. For everybody here at CannabisRadio.com and live here in Boulder City, Nevada, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. And it goes down smooth.